You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. It is Easter and it's Susapalooza. Susa Palooza. After we finish today, I think you'll totally see what we're up to with this whole Susa Palooza thing. I've been getting ready for a few weeks at my house and uh, doing a little research, uh, headed out to the public library, you know, sitting in the kids' book section, looking at Dr. Seuss books, doing some research on YouTube, watching the old uh, Dr. Seuss cartoons. And uh, so there have literally been Dr. Seuss books laying around my house lately, which has been really cool for my kids. Um, they love books, and they love especially colorful, fun books like Dr. Seuss books. And the world of Dr. Seuss is a really cool place. And here's another thing you need to know about me. If you know me, you also know that I'm a big fan of another doctor. Um, anybody know about the TV show, Doctor Who? Any Whovians? Yeah, like all six of you, right? Okay, so I'm not the only one. Doctor Who is a great world. Uh, if you don't know anything about Doctor Who, pretty popular TV show. He is a traveler, time traveler guy. It, it's complicated, but anyway. So the world of Doctor Who is also a really cool place. So yesterday for me, this really cool thing happened when these two worlds collided. Dr. Seuss and Doctor Who. And it went down something like this. Uh, my daughter and my son and I, we were sitting in the room, we were talking. I was talking to my son about Doctor Who. He's all into this science fiction stuff, and I was telling him about Doctor Who. And uh, my daughter, she got pumped. She was like, oh, oh, Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. I love it. She just runs out of the room. And so me and my son, we're like, where is she going? And then she comes running back into the room, and she says, I love Doctor Who. Because he wrote this book, The Cat in the Hat. Yep, that one. Yeah, it would be a pretty cool episode of Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who and, and, and Dr. Seuss combined. Anyway. We're getting into some crazy stuff. We're talking about Dr. Seuss books throughout this whole series. And this week we're going to do something a little bit crazy. But it just might change the way you think about God. And it starts with what may be the greatest Dr. Seuss book ever. Green Eggs and Ham. Anybody got some love for Green Eggs and Ham? Yeah. It's like, it's like the best Dr. Seuss book ever. Let me give you a quick recap in case you have been living under water for the last 50 years or so. Uh, Green Eggs and Ham is a story about a man named Sam. Sam I Am. He's a big fan of this dish called Green Eggs and Ham. And Sam offers the Green Eggs and Ham to another character. We actually don't know what his name is. Um, but this other guy, he is not interested at all, not even remotely, in trying these Green Eggs and Ham. But Sam I Am is totally interested in getting him to try them. See, the, the second character has never even tried Green Eggs and Ham, and Sam I Am says, listen, try them, try them, try them. I think you're going to love them. And so he pursues the second character all over the, the, the known Seuss universe, and he says, you know, like, what if I offered you these Green Eggs and Ham in a different scenario? Like, would you try them in a tree? Or would you try them near or far? Or would you try them in a car? Or would you try them in a house? Would you try them with a mouse or in a box or with a fox? And each time Sam I Am replies, uh, or Sam I Am speaks to this guy, each time the other guy says, no, no, I'm not interested in green eggs and ham. I would not, could not, in a tree, I would not, could not. Now let me be, not in a house or with a mouse or in a box or with a fox. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I Am. Sam I Am continually pursues his friend. 
with these green eggs and ham until finally, finally, at the end of the book, spoiler alert, all right, finally he tries them. You know what? He likes it. He does. He loves it. He says, I do so like green eggs and ham. I like them. I like them, Sam I am. And so that's the story of green eggs and ham. Sorry if I ruined it for anyone. (laughs) If you didn't already know, now you do. Now, here's the crazy part. When I think about the book, Green Eggs and Ham, it reminds me of God. Now, I'd never thought about this until recently, but God is a lot like the character Sam I Am in the book. It's actually interesting. The character's name is Sam I Am, and in the Bible, one of the first names that God uses for himself is I Am. God calls himself I Am. Like, the idea is God's eternal existence. Like, I am now, and I was in the past, and I will be in the future. I am. I exist. And I'm pretty sure this isn't what Dr. Seuss had in mind when he was writing the book Green Eggs and Ham. In fact, I doubt it completely. But when you overlay the story of this classic kid's poetry with the story of the Bible, it's pretty amazing. Because the Bible is the story of God relentlessly pursuing the heart of man. I mean, generation after generation, person by person, God is pursuing the heart of man. Do you know why? you know why God pursues the heart of man? You know why God pursues you and me? Because he loves you. God created you. He loves you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you, and he's offering you a relationship with him. He knows that what he has is perfect for you, and that if you would try it, you would love it. It might sound crazy, but you and I are a lot like the main guy in Green Eggs and Ham. God wants you to try him. He wants you to try a relationship with him, life with him. The Bible actually says, this is a great verse in the Bible, uh, in the book of Psalms, chapter 34, verse 8. It's going to be up on the screen here. It says this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him. Give him a taste and give him a try. God created us to seek something bigger than ourselves. And he knows that only his love can fill that desire that he put in us. That, that hole in our heart that many philosophers have called a God-shaped hole. But you know, a lot of us, we fight against that. We say, I do not want God. I do not want Jesus. I do not want Christianity. I do not want church. I don't want them in a house. I don't want them with a mouse. I don't want them with a preacher. I don't want them with a teacher. I don't want them with the Pope. I don't want them with the dope. I couldn't think of another word that rhymed with Pope. But I do not like them here or there. I do not want them anywhere. And, and normally, man, when I meet people who don't want God or church in their life, they, they've actually got some pretty decent reasons. Like, I don't know, I don't know, maybe you've had this experience. Maybe this is you. Maybe for you, you just, you've seen some people who call themselves Christians, but clearly they don't live a good life. You just don't want anything to do with that type of hypocrisy. You're like, man, it's, shut up with that noise. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. You're not living what you're talking about, so don't tell me what I need to be doing with my life. Maybe that's you, and maybe you've got a good reason for not wanting anything to do with God or church. I'm glad you're here today. And maybe you just felt like church just wasn't for you. Like, like you felt judged or alienated by church people in the past, and so you've got no interest in doing that. Or, or maybe you've got the idea that churches are more focused on money than people. 
That's a huge perception that people have a church about church, and maybe you've experienced that, and maybe what you experienced was actually kind of true. Uh, it's not true here. It's true some places, or it's perceived that way, and maybe that's why. Or maybe, maybe you've had a bad experience with church in general. You, you've seen an organization who is way more concerned with keeping up with traditions than sharing God's love that they're always talking about. Yeah, whatever the reason, you just said, I'm just not interested in trying that. I don't want to taste it. I don't want to try it. Let me be. Or maybe you have tried it. Like maybe you've tried it for a long time, but you took a break, you stopped, or something came up in your life and you walked away from it, and, and you just have had a hard time getting back in, and you know, maybe you just feel like it's too much work. I have no idea what put you in the situation that you're in, but I do know that if you feel that way, you're not alone. But check this out. The appeal from God is the same. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God says, try me. Try me. You won't regret it. I can't say what might have kept you from trying him or someone that you know from trying him, but as I look at the Bible, what I've learned is this, that God is going to pursue you. He is. He's going to pursue your heart and your mind. Me, you, everybody on the planet. God really wants you to know his love, not a counterfeit resemblance of him, not a busy schedule filled of church stuff to do, not fake relationships built around wearing a happy mask all the time, not endless religion and tradition that keeps us wondering if we've been good enough for God to listen to us yet. God's pursuing you because he knows what you really need, and he knows that you would love it if you could taste it. It might sound strange, but God will pursue you. And he's been pursuing the heart of man since the beginning of the Bible. And we see him throughout the whole thing. In fact, the idea that God is pursuing the heart of man is kind of, it's kind of the whole message of Easter. This morning, what I want to do is take a quick journey today through the Bible. A lightning fast trip from cover to cover. We're just going to uncover the pursuit of God as he chases after the heart of man. And so we've got our Bible here. Like, I've got my Bible, and, and here at Venture Church, we believe that we can look to the Bible to the, for the answers to life's most important questions. And uh, if you don't have a Bible today, um, don't worry. It's no big deal. We've got the Scripture on, on the screen behind me, but uh, I want you to have one. Like, we've got free ones, so they're on the floor. Uh, they're spread around the room. They're the green Bibles on the ground. And um, grab one. Take it home with you. It's free. Um, so what we're going to do is just flip through this book. What we have is, is, uh, is, is two major sections of the Bible. I'll say this a lot, but uh, in the first two-thirds of our book here is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the stories about God's people, the, a nation of people. In fact, they're the Jewish nation, and God uses that nation to reveal himself to the world. And this last, uh, about third of this book, we call it the New Testament. And that's, that's the newest section of the Bible that actually includes the life and teachings of Jesus and the actions of the early church and the early followers of Jesus. And so you've got a full picture of God's God's plan for humanity in there. And so we're going to look there, and we're going to start at the very beginning. If you take a look in the very first book of the Bible, it's called Genesis, which is a book, uh, the word means beginnings. And this story uh, near the very part of that book is a story about a couple named Adam and Eve. Maybe you've heard the story before, uh, but let's recap. God has created the world, including Adam and Eve, and he places them in an amazing garden where they have everything they need, and he wants to give them boundaries to protect them from evil. And so what he does in this amazing garden is he gives them this one rule. He says, you can eat from any of these trees in the garden, and there's lots of them, and you can eat up and you can eat your fill, but do not eat from this one tree. It's a pretty simple rule. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from this one right here. But almost immediately, they break 
the one rule. Yes, that's kind of human. That's kind of how we work. I love what happens next. What does God do? Does God strike them with lightning? Does he, does he turn them into newts? Does he force them to sit in front of the 24-hour infomercial channel to punish them? No, they do get punished for their actions. God's all about consequences, but it's actually kind of interesting what he does first. The first thing he does is he seeks them out. He comes down to the garden and he says, hey, hey, where are you guys? It's funny, he says, where are you? Uh, He's God, he knows where they are. But they're hiding from him because they know what they did was wrong. And he says, guys, we need to talk. He pursues their heart. He didn't have to do that. He's God. They broke the only rule. They ran away from him. But he pursued them to reunite them and their descendants, that's us, with his love. Through this first story of God pursuing the heart of man, we witness the beginning of what becomes generations of pursuit. Because we are his special creation, and he is relentlessly pursuing us with his love. Let's fast forward the Bible a few hundred years later. In the second book of the Bible called Exodus, this nation, uh, the nation of Israel or the Jews, these people, they were now living uh, actually as slaves in Egypt. And their population had grown quite a bit, and it had been a little while since they'd really heard or seen anything from God. But he hadn't forgotten them. See, God was still pursuing them. A man named Moses is a Jew, and at this point in his life, his life has has got lots of layers to it, but at this point he's actually tending some flocks uh, as a shepherd out in the wilderness. And boom, suddenly God lights a bush on fire right there in the field where he is and begins to speak to Moses through this bush that's on fire. That must have been crazy to see. It was a miracle that God did, and he lights the bush on fire, and, and that's what happened. But he begins to tell Moses... Moses, I've heard the cry of my people coming out of Egypt, and I'm coming to get them. And actually, that's why I'm talking to you. I want you to go get them. And the story is, is, is awesome. He goes in, and Moses has to speak to Pharaoh, the leader of, of the nation of Egypt. But, but let's, let's pause. Don't miss what's happening. God is pursuing his people. Can you imagine? This guy, Moses, he probably heard about God from his father-in-law, who was actually a God, God-worshipping man. But imagine what it must have been like when suddenly... Moses was hearing God's voice from a ball of fire. It's actually in this story where God introduces himself with the name I Am. And it wasn't a message of fear. It it was a message of hope. God was letting him know, I'm on a mission to free my people. In In fact, God ends up using the Jewish nation to show his master plan for bringing his love into the whole world. Not just to the Jews, but to the rest of us. I don't have Jewish descent in my family that's all of us I could tell tons of stories from the Bible to show God's pursuit of our hearts with his love, I mean as the nation of Israel grows up and they, they, they begin to go in this generational cycle of turning away from God, every few generations they get sucked into idol worship or simply disobeying God's commands but God is constantly raising up leaders to show them his endless pursuit of their heart men and women like Gideon and Deborah lead them back to God until later the nation has a king and then the kings like a guy named David and, and, and a guy named Josiah and prophets who are people who have God's message like this guy named Isaiah and Elijah they rise up to teach people the ways of God God never gives up he loves us and he'll go to extraordinary lengths to pursue us but he wants us to choose to love him this couldn't be more clearly seen than, than just one more story from the Old Testament. It's in the book of Hosea. We meet this really good guy. In fact, he was a prophet of God. His name was Hosea. 
God had chosen this guy to represent him, to speak for him. That's what a prophet is, someone who speaks for God to people. One day Hosea is praying to God, and he speaks to him, and God says, Hosea, I want to do something for you. Hosea's like, you do? Sweet. Yeah, and God's like, yeah, I, I know that you're single. Yeah, yeah, I've been praying for a wife. Well, I'm going to give you one. Oh, God, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Sure, here's what I want you to do. So this is where we're going to pick it up. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, this is God explaining to Hosea how he picked him out a wife. He says, Hosea, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Basically, God instructs Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. A lot of you might have prayed for God uh, to show you who you, you should marry. Can you imagine if this was his answer? I can, I can only imagine Hosea's immediate response. I, I don't know what it was, but this is what it would have been for me. Like, uh, God, um, uh, no, no. I, I, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I mean, n- no. I, I'm sorry, but when I was asking that you would provide me with a wife, I actually was thinking maybe, like, that's not what I had in mind. I was thinking maybe like a nice second grade teacher or like a, a nice realtor. But God says, well, that's what I'm asking you to do. I need to make a point to my people about how much I love them. So Hosea does it. And he goes down and he actually purchases his wife for the going rate of a prostitute and he marries her. And the craziest thing happens. Eventually, he actually ends up falling in love with her and things go great for a while. They end up having a kid together, and then they end up having two more kids together. But things start to break down, and the story of God's pursuit after the heart of man begins to reveal itself. First, Hosea discovers that he wasn't actually the father of the last two children that they had. Uh, then he discovers that his wife had started to go back to some of her old habits. She was picking up some side work. And eventually, she walks out on them altogether. Man, you thought you had marriage problems. Hosea is dumbfounded. He's, he's raising three kids all by himself, two of which aren't even his own. And his wife is a woman of the night. But God's lesson isn't done yet. God speaks to Hosea again and says, it is in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, he says, Now, go, Hosea, and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. (sighs) Hosea is like, are you serious? Why? And God says, yes, I'm serious, and here's why. I'm using you as an example of me. This is how I love my people. I love them, though they constantly turn away from me. But I will take them back because I love them so much. And Hosea does it. He goes back and he buys back his wife. He went out and he bought back his adulterous wife and he loved her again to show us what God is like. God uses Hosea's story to clearly teach us that even if we run away, even if we give our hearts away, even if we hope in other things, he is pursuing us and he loves us and he's waiting with loving arms for us. God's relentless pursuit of humanity is 
the story of the Bible. He loves us and he wants us to try him, to give him a chance to come in, to change us, to help us be what we were created to be, to have peace and joy and fulfillment. (laughs) So that's great. So Moses and the bush catches on fire and Hosea marries a prostitute and that's awesome. That's a great Easter story. So what does this have to do with me, right? I, that's ultimately what we always ask ourselves when we hear something like this. What does this have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? Everything. I want to tell you one last story. One last story of God's relentless pursuit of man. It's the reason we're here today. It's what Easter is all about. It's the story of how God himself came down from heaven and pursued us. God came to earth as a man named Jesus, and Jesus pursued people, people who had walked away from God. That's why Jesus was called a friend of sinners. That was his nickname. The people he hung out with were were considered the scum of the earth. The religious leaders did not like the fact that he was friends with sinners, and especially that he claimed to be God. So they rallied against him, the religious leaders, and they killed him. It's actually act one of the Easter story. God came to earth as Jesus in the pursuit of the hearts of people who were far from him. Our sin had separated us from him, and we deserved to stay separated from him because the penalty for disobeying God is our life, is death. But Jesus loves us, and he pursued us by giving us his perfect life in the place of our own, and so he died. And so he's dead. And that's act one. And for a few days, it seemed like the pursuit was over. I mean, great, it had happened for thousands of years, and, and, and Moses, and, and, all, and, 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 and Hosea, right? And, and Jesus is here, and he's claiming to be the Son of God, but he's dead. In fact, he's dead for three days. And i got to tell you this important thing. On that first day, his followers scattered. They split. They ran, and they hid Even though Jesus told them that he was going to raise from the dead, they didn't know if they could believe it. Some of them denied that they even knew him. They were terrified. But Jesus stayed true to his promise. Three days later, Jesus defeated death. Today on Easter, we celebrate resurrection. That Jesus walked out of the grave. Guess what? The pursuit was back on. And it continues today through people who call him their Lord, their master, their savior, people who live to honor him. Look at this book, the Bible, from cover to cover. Because of his love, God is a relentless pursuer of people's hearts. Jesus told a story to illustrate this point. This is Jesus talking in the book of Luke, which is a book just kind of about Jesus' life. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And he loses one of them. It's probably easy for a lot of you to imagine. Like, think about all your sheep. And like, okay, none of you have sheep. But think about a hundred things that are really valuable to you. They're your livelihood, okay? You've got a hundred of them, and you lose one. He says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Now, this is a story, it's not literally about sheep and a shepherd. Jesus tells the story kind of like an analogy, and he explains it this way. He says, the story is really about God and people. It's about God and you and about God and me. We are like that sheep. We've wandered away from God. God's like that shepherd. And he is not okay with the fact that we're gone. He's not cool with us just wandering off, and so he will pursue us. He will search for us and he will not rest. He will follow us until he finds us and he will not stop. God loves you so much. You are so valuable to him. So much, in fact, that he sent his son to seek you. He is still seeking you today. You will not give up because he knows that what he has to offer is something that you will love if you would just try it. So today, Easter Sunday, Today, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look, maybe these stories, they seem ancient to you. Maybe they rank up there with the Easter bunny for you. You don't know these people. And so you're like, I, I'm glad they, he pursued them, but Jesus, he's not for me. Not in the train, not in the rain. He's not for me. Just let me be. I want to close today with a few quick stories from right here in this room. I recently became friends with an amazing guy named Ben. Ben's in his 40s. He comes from a Christian family, but he's just never really made it his own. He didn't want to. He just wanted what he wanted. And I talked to Ben this morning and made sure it was okay for me to, to share uh, some part of his story. He said, tell it all, man. Tell it all. Ben pursued everything but God to fill the void in his heart. He looked for love among false friends. He looked for solace and substance use and abuse. He, he lived in the world and among the world and the things of the world. And, and I mean, his life was a train wreck. And he came to venture with his family. And he sat in this room week after week and he heard people stand on stage and say, try it, try it, you'll love it. And he said, no, I don't like it. I don't want it. There are layers to his story just like there are mine and yours and they're his to tell. But check this out, two weeks ago, Ben called me. He said, man, I've been sitting in there week after week, and I've been hearing what you've been saying, and i got to tell you something. I'm sick of this. I see what you've been talking about, and I see what this Jesus is all about, and I'm sick of this life that I'm living. And I understand that he's the path to God's love and forgiveness, and I want that. I want to try it. So two, week, two weeks ago after church, we went with Ben to the pool down the hall, and he accepted Jesus for himself. He was baptized and chose Jesus as his Savior, he'd given up on God. But God had not given up on him. God relentlessly pursued the heart of Ben because God loves Ben. Let me tell you about Bob. Bob was one of the first people I met here at Venture back when we first were getting started last year. He got a postcard from us in the mail and invited him to come to church at the YMCA. And when I met him, I, Bob, I don't know if you remember this, but Bob, you said, you said yeah, I heard this was a church for uh, messed up people. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, yeah, actually we are. He goes, good, I'm in the right place. <laughs> and I got to know Bob over the next few weeks, and, and we had coffee one day, and he said, man, I am 59 years old, and I guess it's about time that I grow up. Bob made a video about his life uh, and his pursuit of, of, of life and understanding God, and, and we showed it in here a few, few months back, and in the video he shared that he has spent a lifetime trying to fill the void in his heart. He looked for it among unhealthy friendships, which led to 
decades of battling addiction and being flat out of control. And he didn't want to have anything to do with church or God. But because God wasn't done with Bob, the story wasn't done being told. See, God had been pursuing Bob for 59 years. Back in December, Bob decided to try it. And we baptized Bob. But Bob's God's pursuit was not over with Bob's story. And Bob's choice to live for Jesus was echoed in his wife. See, she had done church for most of her life, but she needed to be reminded of the goodness that God and his love brings. And so she started talking to her, her husband. And you know what's really awesome? That same night, Bob baptized his wife, Jerry. But God's pursuit was not over yet. Man, I get so excited with this story because Bob and Jerry, they started bringing their family to church. And they decided to taste and see if the Lord was good. And last week, on Tuesday, Bob's son-in-law, Josh, and Bob's sister-in-law, Christy, and they were baptized to start a new life in Jesus. But this family is being changed one life at a time because God's love is making a difference. Just ask them. They've tasted and they have seen that the Lord is good. God, God is just getting started with our community. He's in the business of restoring broken lives. Maybe you're here today and you hear what I'm saying, but you think, man, church is not for me. I would not, could not, I will not. But let these stories impact your heart as a testament to say, taste it, taste it, and you will see. That's their story. And maybe it can be your story. I mean, you might have questions. It's okay. We talk through tough stuff all the time here at Venture. Maybe it's your first time in church in a long time. All I'm asking you to do is taste it. Try it. Maybe just come back for the rest of this quirky series based on Dr. Seuss books. It's just three more weeks. Just try it. And if you do, you know what I think you'll find? You know what I think will happen if you taste and see that the Lord is good? I think you'll find that he has something great for you and that church can be an incredible thing and that it can change your life. And I think you'd say, I like them. I do. I like them, Sam I am. I would eat them in a boat and I would eat them with a goat and I would eat them in the rain and in the dark and on a train and in a car and in a tree. They are so good, so good, you see. So I'll eat them in a box and I'll eat them with a fox and I'll eat them in a house and I'll eat them with a mouse. I will eat them here and there. Say. I'll eat them anywhere. I do so like God and church and green eggs and ham. Thank you, thank you, oh great I am. Let me pray with you today. God, we are so in awe of what you do in people's lives. And I'm excited about Bob and Jerry and about Josh and Christy and about Ben and about David who's choosing to be baptized into you today after this service. and It's so easy for us to get caught up in the things we're not interested in trying, but you pursue our hearts. I pray that we can be a community of people that lives that out every day, that people don't see the things that have kept them away from church, but that we can only build a bridge straight to you through the way that we act. Thank you so much for all that you do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.